It's funny, y'all selected that song. I was going to sing a song this morning, and um, I couldn't decide which one I was going to do, and that was one of the three that I was looking at. Um, and so I, um, I appreciate y'all doing that for me. So um, I love it. It's one of my favorites right there. I love the part that says, um, For my love is often cold, so He must hold me fast. <laughs> I'm so thankful that that it's not up to me to make sure that I, I just keep myself saved. I'm so thankful that He promises to hold me fast. Beautiful, beautiful song. If you've got your Bible this morning, I ask you to turn to Psalm number 91. Psalm number 91. I know you've already stood, and if you need to stay seated, that's okay. But if you have the means and you're able... I'd like to ask you to stand one more time to give reverence in reading this um, Word of God. As I said, if you need to keep your seat, it's okay. Psalm number 91. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there yet, say hold on. Okay, here we go. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, if you have a different version, you'll, you'll see that it's a little, little different, but um, that's what I'm reading from this morning. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions or His feathers. And under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler or a protective wall. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. You will not fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, or ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the judgment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder or the serpent. You will tread on the young lion and the serpent you will trample under your foot. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and I will honor Him. And with long life, I will satisfy Him and I will show Him my salvation. You can be seated. Let's pray one more time, please. Father, we just thank You so much for Your Word today. God, we thank You, God, that we have promises like these to to cling to, God. And Father, I pray that today You would help us to see 
how these promises apply to us. Father, there's been many times that the traps have been set by our enemy and we have fell in. Father, there's been many times that pestilence and harm has come near our tent. Father, there's been many times that we look at these promises and and they don't feel like they've been true to us. And so, Father, I ask you this morning that you would open our eyes and and give us uh, the ability to be able to comprehend how this psalm applies to us today. So, Father, I just pray, God, that you would speak to us from your word. Father, I pray, God, that we would leave here encouraged from your word, full of faith in the promises that you give. And, Father, I just ask you that you would accomplish all this through your precious Son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we examined Psalm 90. If you weren't here from that, for that, I'll just take you through a few quick details of Psalm 90 that will at least help you figure out how we get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91. That's the title of my message this morning. How do I get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91? It's interesting to me that these two fall side by side. We know that Psalm 90 was written by the man of God, Moses. It is believed by many that Psalm 91 was actually written by Moses. One thing that he says here, if you noticed in verse 7 of 91, he said, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. Many relate that back to the wilderness time where Moses would see, you remember us talking about the the, um, rebellion of Korah and Korah's sons? And you remember the earth opened up and swallowed so many? And there were many times of rebellion that God would allow death or, or some kind of a plague to wipe through the people of Israel because of their unbelief. And so there were many times that Moses would see a thousand fall at his left side, 10,000 fell at his right right side. But what happened to Moses? Didn't come near him. And so it is believed that Psalm 91 was also written by Moses. Now we we can't be dogmatic about that because we don't know for certain. There are some that say that it was maybe written by David since so many of them were written. And there are explanations for some of the language that he uses as well. But still, I think it's interesting to me that we know Psalm 90 was written by Moses. We understand what happened there. And that Psalm 91 comes right after, but they are so opposite one another. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In verse 3 of Psalm 90, we find out that, that God has created all of us and created everything, but God is also the one that said, You, O man, are going to return to the dust. God did it. Why is there death all around us? God did it. God does it. He is the one that commands, it says, from dust you were taken, and to dust you shall return. All right. And then if we were to go to verse 7, we see that the reason He does this in chapter 90 is because we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. We are dismayed. And so we see that the reason why He returns us to the dust is because we're sinners in His presence. We have rebelled against Him just like Korah, just like all those in the the wilderness that did not get to see the promised land. 
All of us fall into that same category. We're born sinners. And so we see that in in chapter 90. We also see in verse 9 that all our days pass away under your wrath and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. And so we see that all of our days are passing away and they come to an end like like a sigh. And then I want you to notice in verse 10, finally, he says, um, The years of our life are 70, or maybe by reason of strength 80, yet their span, the span of all of them, whether you get um, 20 years, whether you get 50 years, whether you get 80 years, whether you get 120 years, the average is about 70. Some, by reason of strength, even get to see 80. Maybe some more, maybe some less. But the span of them all is but toll and trouble. Now I want you to think about that. That's what we see in Psalm 90. Now that's what you and I can relate to, right? That's what we know. We are not people of Psalm 91. We want to be. Oh, I would love for that to be. I would love for Psalm 91 to completely apply to me and no harm would ever come to my tent and I wouldn't fear any terror of the night and there would not be any deadly disease or pestilence that would come near me. Even if a thousand fall at my left or ten thousand at my right, it won't come near my tent. I wish that were true about me right now. But unfortunately, Psalm 91 is not true about me right now. Psalm 90 is where I'm at. And you notice how Paul, how Moses ends in Psalm 90. Look at verse 13. The first thing he says is he prays to God and he says, God, we need you to do something. We know it's our sin that separated us from you. We know that's why there's death in this world. We know that's why there's toil and there's labor. We know this. But God, here's what we need. We need you to return to us, O Lord. That's the first request. Lord, return to us. So Moses understands that we've been separated from God, right? And then the next prayer request, he says, God, we need you to have pity on us. We need you to have mercy on us. And then the next thing that he does, I think goes down to verse 14. God, we need you to satisfy us early in the day with your steadfast love or with your mercy. God, we need to be satisfied early in our life is what Moses is saying. How many of you um, could look at your life right now and say, God, I just wished I had started serving you sooner. God, I wished I had spent more of my life serving you. I I wished I had invested when I was young into you. And so Moses says here, God, satisfy us early in our life. Before before the days of, of age come near us, satisfy us early with your steadfast love and with your mercy. And then in verse 15, God, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Make us happy, God, for as many days as we have been cursed by our sin. Let us see your goodness. That's how Psalm 90 ends. But then we move over to Psalm 91 and we see the exact opposite of a life. We see somebody who's described as only experiencing the blessing of God no matter what's going on around them. 
We see that basically if disease is all around them, it don't come near them. No matter what it is, if it's famine, um, if it's death, it doesn't matter what it is, all they experience is the blessing of God. Every time they call out, God answers. How many of you have ever, ever experienced in your life that every prayer you've ever prayed, God just answered like that? That's because we're not Psalm 91 people. We're Psalm 90 people. So how do we get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91? Because i got good news for you today. Psalm, 90 can, Psalm 91 can apply to you. If you know how to get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91. And that's our goal this morning. For the purpose of our study, I'm going to outline this psalm in two sections. So if you're writing in your Bible or you're taking notes, the first section is verses 1 and 2. First thing I want to examine is the recipient of Psalm 91. Who is the rightful recipient of Psalm 91? We already know who the rightful recipient is of Psalm 90, right? That's me. I know. I look at it. I know that's where I'm at. But who is the rightful recipient of Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2? Verses 3 through 16, I'm going to look at the promises for this recipient. Verses 3 through 16 are going to be the promises for this recipient. So first, let's look at verses 1 and 2, the recipient. Notice in verse 1 it says... He who dwells, or some versions of this say remains, or he who sets oneself. It literally means to station yourself in this place. And so the one who dwells in the shelter, or some of your versions say the secret place, some of your versions say the hidden place, depending on how it translates this, but he who stations himself and remains in the secret place of the Most High, notice what happens. He will abide or he will rest or he will lodge. He will abide or rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So here we have two different names for God. The first name is this. He's, he calls himself the Most High. And ultimately he says... This is the God that when you dwell with Him in His secret place, He is higher than anything else in this universe, in all creation. There is nothing, there is no one that is higher than Him. He is most high. So the person that dwells with Him, that remains with Him, that stations oneself with Him, the most high, he is going to remain or rest or lodge in the shadow of the Almighty, the second name for God, El Shaddai. What does it mean to be Almighty? It means there's nothing more mightier than you, right? There's no sickness, there's no disease, there is, there is no uh, meteor, there, there is nothing that is mightier than God Almighty. So where is this secret place that if we dwell here and if we remain here, then we will be in the shadow of the Almighty? Well, He answers it. The secret place is in the shadow of the Almighty. How do you get in someone's shadow? 
Where do you have to be to be in their shadow? If I'm standing right here, where's my shadow? Can, can y'all on the front row see it? My shadow's right here. Where is someone? Can someone be in my shadow over there? Can someone be in my shadow back there? Can someone be in my shadow over there? How do they get in my shadow? They have to be beside me. They have to be beside me. And when they remain and they set oneself and they dwell beside of God Almighty, when they remain there, they are in the secret place of God. Now here's the problem. How many of you have remained in the shadow of the Almighty? How many of you have stationed yourself to remain at the side of God wherever He go to stay in my shadow? If I do like this, what have you got to do? If I go over here, what have you got to do? If I go back there, what do you have to do? No matter where I go, if you're going to remain in my shadow, guess what? You've got to go wherever I go. The problem with that is that you and I don't do that. We make our own shadow. We make our own way. We make our own path. Remember, we are Psalm 90 people, not Psalm 91, but the recipient of this, play, uh, of this uh, psalm is the one that remains with God. We fail this test miserably. Miserably we fail it. So who is Psalm 91 about? Anybody want to take a wild guess? It's about Jesus. I'll prove it to you. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4, right after Jesus was baptized? Whenever Jesus got baptized and He came up out of the water, anybody remember what happened? Mm, no, but something from heaven came down. A voice came from heaven. The Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove, in bodily form is what some gospels say. I think Mark it is. He descends from heaven and He rests on Jesus. And then a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. The very next thing that happens is Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tested. Because again, that's what Satan does. If someone walks with God, they try to remain in the shadow of God and they're obedient to God, Satan comes and says, Ah, he don't really love you. He's not really for you. Let me put him to the test and I'll show you. And so the very next thing that happens is Satan is allowed to test Jesus for 40 days in the wilderness. And do you remember what Satan's test started with? He told Jesus, If you really are what? The Son of God. The voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son. Well, then Satan comes on the scene and says, You know what? If you're really the Son of God, then do this. This is the way Satan works. You remember what God told Adam and Eve? The voice came to Adam and Eve and it said, Hey, you can eat from every tree, but do not eat from this tree because in the day you eat from it, you'll what? You'll die. And then what did Satan do? Did God really say... What Satan does is he casts a shadow over the Word of God. That's what he does. 
He tries to make us doubt the Word of God. And here He is testing Jesus and He says, Did God really say that you're His Son? If you're really His Son, then do this and prove it. And then Jesus would come back and say, Well, but God also said... And then he would, he would fight him with the Word of God. Here's the one I want to pay attention to. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible tells us that Satan comes and he takes him and he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point of the temple. And he said, listen, if you are really the Son of God, then throw yourself down from here. And remember, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Why? Because it is written... He will command His angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. You know where that come from? We just read it. Here's what Satan is saying. If you're really the Son of God, then prove it because Psalm 91 was written about the Son of God, about the Messiah. And if you really are the Son of God, then He's already promised you that He's not going to allow you to even strike your foot against the stone. His angels will come and they will bear you up. And Jesus does not deny it. He don't look at Satan and say, no, 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 that's not what that means. That is what it means. Jesus could have thrown Himself off of that temple and God would have sent His angels to bear Him up lest He struck His foot against a stone because Psalm 91 is about Jesus. He is the one that remained with God. He is the one that got in the shadow of the Almighty and walked with Him. And even at His baptism, what did God say? This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased. He walks with me. He stays with me. He remains with me. And He is in the secret place. And He dwells and remains and rests in the shadow of the Almighty. But in verse 7, I think it is. Did I give you that one, Nathan? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not where we're, that's not where we're going. So here, here's what we see here. Satan is basically saying, if you're God's son then do this because this psalm is about you. That's the proof that Psalm 91 we know is about Jesus. It's not about you and I in the immediate context. That don't mean it won't apply to us, but in the immediate, it's about Jesus. All of those promises that you read in Psalm 91, how many of you would love for those promises to be true in your life right now? No matter what happens in the world, it don't come near you to touch you. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? But we're not Psalm 91 people. We're Psalm 90 people. So how do we get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91? And then Jesus also adds in this, and I didn't give Nathan this verse, but he goes to the next verse and he says, listen, Satan, it's also written that you don't put God to the test. In other words, just because this is true about me, it don't mean that I should set myself on the highest point and throw myself off to prove or to make God prove Himself. We don't put God to the test. This is my problem with snake handling churches. Now I know y'all don't care. We ain't that kind of church, alright? So don't be looking where you're going to make the new exit door. You don't have to do that. But there are churches out there that they like to prove that because Jesus said, no serpent will harm you. So they like to pick up snakes and they like to say, let me show you and prove to you. Well, the same concept applies. It is written, you don't put God to the test. Now, is it true that 
He will protect you from serpents. Well, yeah, it's true. Look at Paul. When Paul was following God and walking in God's shadow and he was on the island of Malta and he went to build a fire and the Bible tells us that a viper came out and bit him. But what happened to him? Nothing. Nothing. He was in the shadow of the Almighty. He was where he was supposed to be. And so, yes, it was true about him. But would it have been true necessarily if Paul had just walked up and said, let me show y'all, let me show y'all where I am. And he picks the viper up and he says, look at me. No. No, this is what Jesus is talking about. It is written, you don't put God to the test. He will keep His Word. He don't have to prove it. He will keep His Word. And so the recipient of this psalm is Jesus. He is the only one who fulfills this psalm perfectly. We do not. Now there are times that we're in the shadow, but there are just as many times that we've walked so far away from His shadow that it's not even casting near us. But Jesus fulfills it perfectly. He dwells with God, as said in verse 1 of Psalm 91. He dwells with Him. He remains with Him. In verse 2, He is the one that says to the Lord, My refuge and my trust, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He is the only one that has perfect faith in God to follow Him all the way to death, even death on a cross. He was perfectly obedient to God all the way. He is the only one that, in verse 13, has trampled the lion and the serpent underfoot, just exactly like it was prophesied He would do. And in verse 14, He's the only one who actually holds fast to God in love. The song we sung is not about how we hold fast to God, it's about how He holds fast to me. Y'all tracking with me? We don't fulfill Psalm 91. Jesus fulfills Psalm 91. And so that's the first one is the recipient of Psalm 91 is Jesus. The second part that we'll examine is the promises to Jesus and Jesus alone. What are the promises that God makes to Him? We'll look at verse 3. The first promise, He will deliver you. That's the first promise. I will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Literally, He will deliver you from every trap that the enemy tries to put in your way. Do you know how many times Satan tried to trap Jesus? You ever read the Gospels and the Bible would say, and the Pharisees came to Him testing Him. And they would ask this question, did He ever get caught in a single one of those traps? And even when He went to the cross... Do you think that Jesus got caught in the trap? No, the devil got caught in his own trap. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He never... God fulfilled this promise in every way. He delivered him from every trap. Also in verse 4, notice what the next uh, promise is. He will cover you with his feathers. And here we have the image in 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 Psalms poetry. We have images that show us protection and things like that. And the image he uses is a mother hen that lifts her wings up for her chicks to get up under. And whenever those wings get over the young ones, they are completely sheltered from all harm. And that's what we see here is that He promises that He is going to cover you with His feathers and He's not going to let harm come your way. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what about the suffering He went through? What about the cross? Hold on. Just hold on. So He will cover you. You had complete protection. Do you remember when um, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and 
the soldiers came for him. And when the soldiers came to try to arrest him, Peter drew his sword and he cut off the high, serv- the high priest's servant's ear. Y'all remember that? Jesus took the ear, put it back on and healed him and he said something to Peter and his disciples. He said, do you not think that at any moment I could call 10,000, 12 legions of angels and God would come and deliver me from all of this? Do you know why Jesus could say that? Because Psalm 91 is about Him. At any moment that Jesus wanted to fulfill that promise, He could have looked to the Father and He could have prayed and said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Send me 10,000 angels to wipe them all out and save me. And you know what God would have done? He would have fulfilled Psalm 91 for Jesus. But then He looks at His disciples and He says, but if I do that, how will the Scriptures be fulfilled? In other words, even though I know this promise is true for me, I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to follow God. The same call that Christ gives you and me. He said, if anyone would come after me, what must we do? Pick up our cross and follow Him. The way you get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91 is by following the one that Psalm 91 is about. Now that does not mean that all of these promises are going to apply to you right now because Jesus denied them to apply all to apply to Him at this moment and instead chose to follow the will of God. And now if anybody would be the Psalm 91 person, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Him. Does that make sense? But all of the promises of Psalm 91 can be about you. If you are in Christ, and we'll get there here in a minute, but go verse 5 with me. Look at the next promise. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that that flies by the day. You remember when Jesus was in the storm of Galilee and the waves were crashing over the boat and the disciples were saying, we're going to die, we're going to die. You remember where Jesus was? In the stern of the boat, fast asleep. And they had to go wake him up. And they woke him up. You remember what they said to him? We're going to die. Do you not care that we perish? And Jesus looked at them and you remember what Jesus said? Why do you fear? Do you still not have faith? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus understood what it meant to walk through all the troubles of this life arrows flying by the day, terrors in the night. But no fear. This promise was for him. He had perfect peace walking through it. Then we go down to verse um, verse 10, to the next promise. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall be allowed to come near your tent. And again, that's exactly what would have happened at any time if Jesus had chosen to not deny Himself, but fulfill these promises for Himself. At any moment, He could have said, this harm is not going to come anywhere near me, and it would have been that way. And you remember, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed. 
He said, Lord, if there is what? Any other way. But nevertheless, what? Not my will. Jesus made a conscious decision to deny Himself and to follow the shadow of the Almighty. Wherever the Almighty went, that's where Jesus went. And because He remained there, all of these promises are true about Him. Look at the next promise in verse 11. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's the one that Satan tried to use on him, right? And again, this is how we know that it's about Jesus. Satan himself knew that this was about the Messiah. And Jesus does not deny it. He says, yes, you're right. That is the promise that God has made to me. However, it is also written that you don't put God to the test. So just because this is true about me, I'm not going to get up on top of this temple and throw myself off to prove to you that I'm the Son of God. I know who I am. I know what the promises of God are. And I know that I trust Him. And that's good enough for me. And He passes the test. And then go down with me to verse 13. Notice what He says next. You will tread on the lion and the serpent. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3 whenever um, 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 God is prophesying about how He's going to save mankind and how He's going to conquer Satan? And He says, the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And this is exactly what we see Jesus do. Everywhere Jesus goes, Satan tries, he throws everything at him. And every time Satan, Jesus tramples his head under his foot. And this is the same promise that those of us that are in Christ is given to us in Luke chapter 10, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to do what? You know why he can give you the authority? Because God is the one that's gave him the authority. Psalm 91 is about him. And now those that are in Christ, he says, now I'm going to take this promise and I'm going to give it to you. And he says here, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over what? All the power of the enemy. When we're walking in the Almighty, I'm not promising you that no harm is ever going to come your way because how many of you know that when you're following the will of God, sometimes the will of God... Look at the life of Jesus. All these promises were true about Him, but He suffered greatly. He suffered greatly. So I'm not telling you that having power over the enemy doesn't mean that you won't suffer. I'm telling you that in the midst of your suffering, you will still trample Him under your feet because Christ has promised that He will give that power to you. And now, I want to look at the last promise in verse 14 and 15. Uh, not the last, we've got a couple more. Verse 14, because He holds fast to me in love, here's the next promise, I will deliver Him. I will protect him. I will be with him in all of his trouble is basically what he's saying because he knows my name. And then notice what he says in verse 15. We'll just add these to it. When he calls to me, I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and I will honor him. You know what God did when Jesus found himself in trouble and he called out to God? God rescued him. God raised him from the dead. God saved him from what the enemy thought was a trap that he got him. Satan said, oh, we got him now. And then Jesus said, not today. And he rose from the dead. Over all the power of the enemy, there was nothing he had that Jesus could not defeat because he trampled him under his foot. And then finally in verse 16, he says, I will satisfy him with long life. Jesus will never die again, ever. And I will show him my salvation. Psalm 91 is about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. These promises sound awesome. Lord, I want these promises for me. Lord, this, I don't want to be a Psalm 90 man. I want to be a Psalm 91 man. Anybody else with me on that? God, how do I get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91? And listen to what we see here. The first thing we see is that the way we get from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91 is we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, look at what he says here. He says that He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you remember how, how Moses ended Psalm 90? Psalm 90 was a confession. Lord, we know that the reason this life is the way it is is because of our sin. And then he says, here's what we need you to do. God, we need you to return to us. We need you to have mercy on us, to have pity on us. God, we need you to satisfy us with your mercy, God. That's what we need. We need you to save us. And so here's a great exchange that God does when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. We confess that we're sinners. We confess, just like Psalm 90, Lord, we need you to save us. And then here's what He says He does. He says He made Jesus to do what? To be sin. All of your sins He takes and on the cross of Calvary, He makes a great exchange. Now this don't make no sense to me. I'm just going to tell you. I believe it, but I don't understand it. Why would God do this? But God takes His Son and He takes all of my sin and on the cross He makes Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. My sin. Everything I've done, my rebellion, all of my iniquities that are set before God, all of the anger and the wrath that was meant for me, he takes the man who knew no sin and he puts him on the cross and he makes an exchange and he says, I'm going to take all of Stevie's sin and I'm going to put it on him. But that's not an exchange. All that is is he takes one and gives it. There's an exchange that has to be made. So what is it that Jesus gives to us? Well, keep reading. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in Him we might what? Become the righteousness of God. He takes my sinful life and He puts it on the sinless man. 
He takes the sinless life and He puts it on me. (laughs) If your mind right now ain't going, why would you do that? Who would do that? Who... This is the reason why the psalmist, when they talk about the love of God, all they can say is, your mercy is greater than anything that there is. Your love endureth forever. Your mercy endureth forever. There is no God like you. Who does this? And when we put our faith in Jesus, the one who fulfills Psalm 91, we move from Psalm 90 and we become... Psalm 91, in Him. In Him. Now here's the last question I want to answer this morning. Does that mean that now, right now, all the promises of Psalm 91 are now going to be mine? Yes and no. (laughs) But yes, just like they were for Jesus. But again, I take you back to what I said just a minute ago. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, this is what Jesus said. All the promises were His now. But here's what He did. He said, Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself. Why must we do that? Because that's what He did to be the Psalm 91 man. He denied Himself. Philippians chapter 2 put it like this. Even though he was equal with God and did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was God in the flesh. But instead, he laid it aside and he became a servant. He humbled himself. He denied himself. Even though all of those promises were his to claim. He denied Himself and He picked up His cross and He followed the Father in the shadow of the Almighty. And now, if anyone would come after Jesus, you know what we have to do? We have to deny ourselves. Are all these promises ours to claim? You better believe they are. Why? Because God took your sin and put it on Him and He took His righteous, perfect life and He put it on you. You became the one who remains in the shelter, the secret place of the Most High. Not because of what you've done, but because of what He has done. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Anybody getting this? And so we deny ourselves. And we pick up our cross and we follow Him. Let me finish this. And being found in a human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient, which is what we have to do as well. But how did He become obedient? To the point of death. He embraced suffering. He embraced all the things that this world would throw at Him, but He walked through them in peace. He walked through them in joy. Hebrews chapter 12 says that for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He endured the suffering. He despised the shame for the joy that was set before Him because He knew the promises that were His. And He had complete faith in it. He trusted it. 
He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Go to verse 9. Therefore, because He denied Himself and picked up His cross and He followed God, therefore God has kept His promise that He made in Psalm 91 to rescue Him and to honor Him and to satisfy Him with long life. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Whether you're in heaven or on earth, under earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's how you move from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91. It don't make sense to me, but what you do is you put your faith in God's promise that when I trust in Jesus and I confess my sin and I claim the blood to be applied to my life, He takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ and He puts it on me when I don't deserve it. And He takes the sinfulness of me and He puts it on Jesus when He don't deserve it. And those who put their faith and their trust in it move from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91. But that does not mean that you are now protected from all harm because we deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and we follow Him the same way that He did with God the Father. Now I will say this. We get to experience some of the promises now, but not most. You know, Jesus healed some, didn't He? When He came, He healed some. He healed a lot, but not most. He didn't heal everybody. Jesus raised some from the dead, didn't He? But did He raise everybody from the dead? I mean, He, he went and, and cast a demon out of a man that was living in a cemetery. All He had to do was speak the Word. And every, of them would have, every one of them would have come out of the grave. But He didn't. Why? Because when Jesus came, He didn't come to give us all the promises of Psalm 91 right now. He came to purchase them. He came to pay for them so that they would be ours. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, look what He says here. But our citizenship is in heaven. We're not there yet, but it's, it's in heaven. And from it we do what? We await. Guys, yes, some of the fruits of the promise are ours today. Some of them. Some of us will experience healings. Some of you have, but not everybody. Some of you will, will see safety from harm, but not everybody. Some of you will go through it. Because the promises are not necessarily for right now as much as we await for them. It's the hope that we have. It's the faith that we have. And so we await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52 and 53. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet what? Will sound. It's not sounded yet, but you know what our faith says? It's going to sound. The trumpet is going to sound and the dead what? Will be raised. Do you believe that this morning? That's my faith. I'm awaiting on it. I know it's coming. I know the promises of God are true. He is going to satisfy me with long life. 
He is going to show me His salvation. Has He done it yet? Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. But I know He's going to do it. I know He will. And then go with me to uh, one more scripture and I'll quit. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. He what? Is every tear wiped from your eye right now? <laughs> Some of you ain't got no tears left to cry much, do you? But you know what He promises? He will. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And when He does that, death shall be what? Is, it, is death no more right now? But it will be. You know why? Because you've moved from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91. It's been purchased for you. And there shall be no more mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things have they've passed away. So we get to experience some of the promises now, but not most. And then another, i got two scriptures left, but this is next to last. Romans chapter 8, verse 23 through 25. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. That's what we do right now. We groan inwardly as we what? As we wait eagerly for the adoption of signs, the redemption of our bodies, we're waiting on it. For in this hope we were saved. You know what faith is? Faith is the full assurance of what? Things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith says, God, I don't have the promise in fullness yet, but I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I believe it and I'm waiting for it. For in this hope we were saved. But look at what he says next. Hope that is seen is what? It's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? And finally in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We know it's coming. And that's our faith. And we are saved in that hope. So again, my message is simple this morning. How do you move from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91? Faith. Faith. Faith in what Christ has done for you. Faith in the promises of God. And we know that God, I pray and I pour my heart out. And right now, God, I pray that You will save us from pestilence and harm and sickness and disease. And God, I pray that You will deliver us from from, in, from the thousand that fall at our left and the ten thousand that fall at our right, I pray that it would not come near my tent. But nevertheless, Lord, not my will. Your will be done. I deny myself. I pick up my cross. You know what a cross was in that day and time? An instrument of torture. I pick up my cross and I follow You. I pray for the first fruits. But nevertheless, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. In closing, how do we apply this? Remain in Jesus. Do you know how many people I've seen start this race and not finish? If you don't dwell, you know where your secret place is in the shadow of the Almighty? It's in Jesus. 
Jesus' place is at the side of the Father in His shadow. Your place is in Him. Don't start this race and not finish it. Whenever Paul got to the end of his race, you know what he said? I have fought the good fight. I have kept the what? I have finished the what? And finally, finally there is laid up for me a righteousness that my Father is going to give to me. And not only me, but all those who love His appearing. You've got to finish the race, guys. I've been ministering for many years here. I can't tell you how many people I've seen start this race and not finish it. See, it all sounds great when we talk about being saved and eternal life, but when it comes to denying ourselves and picking up our cross, not many can do it. Many don't pass the test. You've got to remain in Jesus. Remain in Him. Don't quit like so many before you. And then the, the second thing, put your hope in His promises. Put your focus on those promises. You know why Jesus was able to carry the cross? For the joy that was set before Him? Because He knew the promises. He knew what was His. He knew honor was coming. He knew long life was coming. He knew salvation was coming. He knew that protection from all harm and that every tear would be wiped away. He knew it was coming. And for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. Put your focus on the promises. Believe God for them and eagerly await the fulfillment of them. Remember, pray for the first fruits now. Yes, pray for them now. When sickness comes, pray with everything in you for healing. Am I going to promise you that healing is going to come? No. Will it come to some? Yeah. Yeah, it will. Some will get to see the first fruits. Others will get the fulfillment. But you pray for the first fruits. But you put your focus on the promises and you trust Him for them. The last scripture, and I'm closing, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes where? <laughs> There's not a promise that God has made that don't find its yes for you in Him. You put your focus on the promises of God and you pray for the first fruits, but you trust Him whenever His shadow leads you to a place that brings you into suffering, brings you into harm. If you find yourself in Satan's traps and sickness and disease, as long as you're in Jesus, these promises are yours. And pray for them now. But if God, if, if He wills to lead you into suffering, if He wills to lead you into danger, if He wills to lead you into death, you be obedient to Him even unto death. And He will honor you. And He will highly exalt you. And He will allow you to share in the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow even to you. The Bible tells us we're going to rule with Him. You know what people do before rulers? Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that His promises are for you. That's how you move from Psalm 90 to Psalm 91.
Put your faith in Him. Stay in Him. Maybe this morning you have never made that confession of faith that says, Lord, I know I am a sinner and I know I need You to return to me. I know I need You to have pity on me, have mercy on me. God, I need You to take my sin and apply it to Jesus. And I need You to take His righteousness and apply it to me. And I believe today that You'll do it because You promised You would. And if you will repent of your sin and walk in that faith and stay in Jesus, all these promises will be yours. If you need that today, come take me by the hand. Say, preacher, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. But let me just talk to you and pray with you and help you along the way. Whatever you need this morning, if you just want to humble yourself before Him and say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, that... that We deny ourselves and follow You and no matter where You lead us, I know Your promises are true. And I thank You for Your promises. Maybe you need the first fruits this morning and you want to pray to Him and and, and ask Him to give you those. Whatever it is that you need this morning, I would invite you to come and respond to His Word this morning. This ain't my Word. This is His Word. What are you going to do with it?